Lord, your word assures us that it's perfect love that casts out all fear. God, we thank you that you love us. You love us, Lord. And so all fear is removed in Jesus' name. And we can go forth in victory and in power. And in, for some, maybe this is the beginning of the healing process. For others, the healing process is continuing. God, we know that because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of our testimony, there is victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we just thank God this morning? Give him a hand clap. Hallelujah, Lord. God, you are good. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you, worship team, for being sensitive to what God was saying today and where he's leading and congregation just for your response to to the Lord and, and where he's leading you today and just response to him. So, um, so good to see you, everybody, again. And uh, here we go with, uh, this is going to be our last week in this particular series that we have been in. So the fourth and final week talking about finances. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this and been able to uh, glean a lot from this. Next week is Father's Day, so looking forward to that. I, I look forward to that because it is Donuts with Dad. I'm not going to lie. Uh, that's right. Several dads are happy. Um, I think Doug, Doug and Lisa are, have been uh, up in, in Illinois, Indiana, Indiana, visiting Lisa's family. And he said something like flapjacks for fathers or pancakes with pa. He said that's what he would prefer. So maybe next year, who knows. But this year, donuts with dad. We'll be getting to that. And then after that, um, we're going to be getting into maybe for the rest of the year, talking about wholeness, just the presence of God. Nothing brings wholeness like the presence of God. Nothing, bring, nothing else will bring wholeness but the presence of God. All the things that we've talked about up to this point this year, including our finances, we must have the presence of God even in our finances for there to be wholeness there. And um, so that's just what you can look forward to over the next couple of weeks with you know, our kids going to camp, our youth going to camp, and uh, it's going to be an exciting time. Lukey is getting married in just a couple of weeks. So, Lukey, I'm sorry, Luke uh, is getting married. <laughs> I've known him for a long time, but uh, he's getting married. So excited for you and Emma. That's coming up quickly. But, um, man, it's going to be good. Then Jamaica is right after that, Yemen. So we'll be headed down for that. But um, well, let's get into today what we're talking about. Um, it, this is called Wholeness and Finances, this whole chapter. And as I've said, you know, when you want to know about healing for your physical body, you search the scriptures for healing to your physical body. When you want healing in your marriage, you search the scriptures for healing in your marriage. When you need uh, healing just in maybe your relationship with your family, your children, you look to the scriptures. It's no different from your than, than with your finances. The first week we covered this, that Jesus... 16 of his 38 parables dealt with money and possessions. Um, the book of Proverbs, we just um, finished, or still reading through that. No, we finished reading that. I was thinking, what I read this morning, but that was Ecclesiastes. Uh, but anyway, reading through Proverbs, all kinds of discussion on money. And so we've made it very clear, my prayer is that I've made it very clear, that this is not a prosperity gospel that we are preaching. If you give your tithe, then you will be blessed. If you give to others, then everything that you've ever dreamed of will happen and take place, and you'll get this. That's a prosperity gospel that goes against the Word of God. What the Word of God does say, that is, if you are, as you are obedient to His Word, that He will supply your need. He will do that. 
that just that flies in the face of the whole prosperity go, uh, gospel that I think is kind of on the way down. Um, my prayer is that it's on the way down. There's some things that have been exposed within that. Um, but we want to know what God's word says because God does want us to be blessed. Sure he does. Why? So that we can be a blessing. Not so that we can hoard and so that we can hold because we understand this. Every possession that we have, every cent that we make, it's not ours anyway. You know, I work hard for my money. There's one problem with that statement. It's not yours. God gave that to you. So we've been covering all of those type of things. When we hear blessed by God, we, we want to know that it's spirit, soul, and body, but finances are definitely included in that. This has not been anything. This is just to catch some of us up. Uh, this is not anything to do with... Um, how to make money, go to a financial planner for that. That's wisdom uh, to be able to do that. That's uh, stewarding your money well. So you've heard us talk a lot about generosity, but also stewardship. We see folks who have, are, have a very generous heart, but they give everything away and they haven't been a good steward of what has given us, God, God has given us. Then you have others who are so tight with their money, but they steward it very well, right? So they're not generous, but somewhere in there is where the heart of God is to be uh, a good steward of what God has given you, but also to be generous with what he has given you because you are conduits of his blessing. That's what he desires for all of us. Well, um, <laughs> a while back I heard this sermon um, and I thought, man, this would be a really good thing to bring today as we're closing this series out. And it's called the 10 Financial Commandments. And so as I was listening to this and re-listening to this and uh, bringing some other things out, I thought, you know, what an amazing way to be able to understand how God wants us to have wholeness even in our finances because we pretty much know the Ten Commandments, right? We've, we've learned those over time. So paralleling these, so we're going to just kind of bring some parallels in here. and We're going to add scripture to it and, and all of these things. But I thought, uh, this is, by the way, something I'd heard from Robert Morris a while back, um, so it's not a sermon focusing on how much money you make. We established that last year. Whether you make, uh, last week, whether you make a lot of money or whether you make a little bit of money, you're called to steward that. You're called to be generous and steward of that, whether it's a lot or if it's a little. So um, because we all know people who don't make much money and they're not good stewards. We know people who make a lot of money and are not good stewards. We're addressing how you think about stewardship and ownership as we close this out. So what I want you to do is turn to Exodus chapter 20. That's where the Ten Commandments are. Hold your finger there, and then we're going to go to 1 Kings as well. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 is, is another place that we want to be uh, for, for a couple of our first scriptures here. We'll have some other ones along the way. But throughout this message today, what I want you to do is keep your finger there in Exodus 20, because for each of these 10 quick points, we are going to um, reference one of the Ten Commandments. So let me get back over here myself to 1 Kings 17. I was there and then I wasn't. Never do that. So um, let's look at this real quick. The first point of what we're talking about today, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Financial Commandments. The first commandment that you'll see there in Exodus 20, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse 3, says, you must not have any other God but me. That's the first commandment. Have no other gods before God. He is to be the one and only. Well, I want to see how we put God first, even in our finances. And I want to read you a story out of 1 Kings chapter 17. And uh, as I was being reminded of this and reading through this uh, the other day, I thought, wow, this is pretty amazing. 
So let's look at this story. It's a familiar one. So First uh, Kings 17, chapter, uh, verse 10 says, So he went to Zarephath. Um, this is Elijah. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little cup of uh, water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread, too. So here's this guy. He's kind of demanding some things or asking of some things. Uh, by the way, I don't have this up on the screen today because I want you to look here in your, own, you know, in your Bible or on your phone or wh whatever you have because I just want you to see some things as we're going through, through this. Um, verse 11, as she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then and my son and I are going to die. Very hopeful, isn't it? <laughs> Not really at all. Verse 13, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and uh, the crops grow again. So, let's see, we're going to go through verse 16. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Now, as I've read this story before, maybe the first time that you've heard this, maybe this is the first time that you've heard it, I ask this question, why would a man of God go to a poor widow in the middle of a famine for provision? Why would God send a man of God to a poor widow in the middle of a famine for provision? That almost seems mean. That almost seems cold-hearted that God would say, man of God, go to the poor widow. She's only got a little bit left and take part of her last meal. You know, the cynical side would say, well, it's her last meal anyway. She won't know the difference. You know, after that, she'll die too, whether she has a little or a lot. So it almost seems like a, you know, cynical remark um, can come out come out of that why didn't God send Elijah to the rich people for provision quite a couple of questions that I had hopefully maybe that's something that you've thought about but look at this God didn't send Elijah so that Elijah would be taken care of that's not the reason he sent the man of God to the woman it wasn't for Elijah's benefit he sent Elijah to the widow so that God could take care of her her obedience to the man of God, ultimately to God, her putting God first, would take care of her until the crops came in again. The oil and the flour never ran out because she was obedient. So why didn't God send Elijah to the rich people? Because he wanted to provide for this widow throughout the famine. And he accomplished his word because she was obedient. Let me draw uh, an example or how we can relate that. Your tithe, let's just say here to Abundant Life, is not given so that you can support the work of the church. Now, that's part of it. That does happen, okay? But that's not the reason that your tithe comes into this, this storehouse. As a result, we do the work of the Lord, right? But that's not the reason. 
your tithe is so that you can be taken care of by God because you're putting him first. Remember, God doesn't need your money because it's his money anyway. God doesn't need your money. He simply desires to have your heart and he desires to be first. That's why it says bring all the tithe into the storehouse. So when we make, as we talked about last week and the week before, when we make statements like I can't afford to tithe, no, you can't afford not to tithe. Because God is making a way for you, whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. God is making a way for you. Isn't that an interesting scenario there? Because I've always thought, God, why would you send the why would you send the man of God to a poor widow? I mean, There's plenty of people he could have been provided for. It wasn't about Elijah. This widow had the opportunity to put God first. She obeyed. She did it. God provided for her. And he will do the same for you. He just says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So first commandment, put God first. Secondly, Exodus 20 verse 4 says, you must not make things for yourself. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image or anything in the heavens or on the earth or um, in the sea. This point is don't worship the material things. Don't worship the material things. And that's hard. I mean, I'm just I'm confessing. There's things that I have seen. There's purchases that I have made out of an emotional decision that that I've done and and I've made mistakes uh, along the way. An idol is something that you put before God. Let me ask you this. And you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever bought something that you regret? Sasha has this joke because I really, the clothes that I get, um, and some of you are like, yeah, we can tell you shop at a thrift store. But um, I, I, I cannot, don't laugh too loud, Kendall. Um, I cannot pay full price for clothes. I really can't. I just, now this is, I'm not saying that you can't. Please hear me in this. I just I can't because I'll come home and I will have spent $20 on a pair of jeans and I regret it. And Sasha's like, but David, you needed them. That's, that's just me, okay? That's just a weirdness about me. I mean, I like them and I'm happy and, you know, and I mean, I probably spent a little more on these boots than I should have, but they're nice and they're comfortable and they were on sale and Jean's dad treated me right on them. So praise God for that. So I'm wearing them today because they're waterproof and it's raining. Um, but I'll tell you, I got home and, and I thought, I shouldn't have done that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, you know, if you just don't like to spend money. I'm talking about have you ever made those purchases where you just knew it wasn't right? There's just something in there. It was an emotional decision. That's, that's what I'm, the parallel that I'm trying to draw. Don't worship these material things. Um, so, you know, if you've consulted the Lord, you buy something nice, praise God for that. God likes to take care of his children. So please hear me in that. I'm not saying if you buy anything nice, then... You're making it, making it an idol. No, I'm saying without consulting the Lord. Because here's the other question. Did you pray about it before you bought it? So if you pray about it and God gives you the okay and God gives you the clear on that, you know what? You've been a great faithful servant. You've been a great steward with what you're doing. And you feel the Lord gives you release on that. Then you haven't made that thing an idol. So don't worship material things. In other words... Ask the owner before you spend his money. When I heard this, I was like, (laughs) what what an amazing 
truth to understand. Ask the owner before you spend his money because whose money is it? It's God's. It's his anyway. Number three, the commandment out of uh, Exodus 20 is don't use God's name selfishly. Verse 7 says you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. To misuse something basically is to use it selfishly, to use something selfishly. Um, and here's the point out of this one. Do our prayers point to selfishness? Lord, you know how much I would like to have X. You know how much I would like to have this or that or the other because I just, you know, it would benefit me and me, 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 me. No, Lord, can this be a blessing to other people as well? Is there a way that these possessions, is, a way, uh, is there a way that these things can honor your name? That's a good prayer to pray whenever you're asking the Lord. That, that's a wonderful prayer to be able to pray. So don't use God's name selfishly. In other words, when you're praying, make sure that your prayers aren't selfish. But Lord, how can you be glorified through this? I want to underscore this again too. Does that mean we can't have nice things? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. Just we want to make sure it's not an idol. We want to make sure that it's not a selfish type of thing, but God is being honored through this. And uh, so everybody clear with that? I just want to make sure everybody's good with that. Number four, be a good steward. So what commandment does this point to? Verse 8 in Exodus 20. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Okay, so how do you get be a good steward out of that? Let's keep reading. Verse 9 says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. Notice there it says, do not do any ordinary work. And notice it also says six days. You know, we have here a, um, in, in our Western culture, in most cultures, I guess, we have a five-day work week. Then there's Saturday. Now, some of us, you know, you work on Saturdays or whatever, so whatever your Sabbath is. But maybe that's your household work day. But there's something about the Sabbath day that we're honoring God. We're spending our time with the Lord. Uh, maybe for you, the way that you honor the Lord and that you spend time with God is working out in the yard, working in his good. And you're, Lord, thank you so much for the beauty of the earth. Thank you so much. But the Sabbath day is the day that we concentrate our thoughts on the goodness of God. We reflect back on the week. We are resting so that we're ready to go for the next day. But that's what this is saying here when it talks about being a good steward. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day, it's a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. The point is, out of be a good steward and bringing it with this commandment here is be a good steward, not just of your money, but of your time and your energy as well. How often do we fall into the trap of if I pick up another job, then my needs will be met. And there's no time for the Lord. How often do we fall into that trap of, well, we're about to come to the end of the month and I don't have a lot, so I'll pick this up too. And there's no time for rest. There's no time for God in that. Resting one day of the week is believing God can do more in six days than you can do in seven I'm going to tell you, that's a hard one for most of us, isn't it? And I'm, I'm lumping myself right in there. As a matter of fact, um, since we've been able, you know, Luke has come on, and I'm, I am trying so hard to where Friday is not a day of ordinary work. In other words, things to do with the church. I am working very hard because I'll tell you, up until that point, I was not doing a good job with that. Not, not you guys making me do that. I just was not able to let my mind rest. But, you know, with Luke being here, I'm able to take Friday and say, 
okay, let's do this. Let, let's, let's take this time to rest before the Lord. Because God can do more in six days through me than I can do in seven days all by myself. Tithing is believing that God can do more with 90% of what is left after you tithe than with 100% that you can do on your own. That's why we often say, don't say I can't afford to give 10% of my income. You can't afford not to. Because God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100% of whatever it is he's blessed you with. Be a good steward. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Here's something that good stewards do. If you're taking notes, uh, you can write these, th these things down. All good stewards do these three things. All good stewards, and this is just kind of a freebie type of thing I'm throwing out here. Spend wisely, save diligently, give generously. Can I be honest? I'm working on some of these myself. I am. I'm, we're, we're all working on, on something, right? But working on all of these. Good stewards spend wisely, save diligently. That's part of stewardship, both of those. And then C, give generously. So be a good steward. Five, number five, teach your children. This comes out of Exodus 20, verse 12 where it says, honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land your Lord is giving, the Lord your God is giving you. Parents, I especially want to encourage you in this. Your children are learning about money and God from you. Let me, let me say it differently, differently. Your children are learning about God and money from you. See, there's some things that a couple years ago, Sasha and I drastically changed in our finances because we had eyes that are watching us. There's things that we are still changing in our finances because of the, the Nathan and Gabriel who are watching us. Your children learn about God and money. And here's, here's what I mean. Here's some practical things. Be careful how you talk about money. Because if there's not enough, then all of a sudden your kids are fearful that God doesn't provide. Or if you boast in it, then they think, then I've got to do this myself. Growing up, you guys know my story. We grew up really, really poor. I always heard from my mom. By the way, she's sick again today, so let's, if you don't mind, just keep praying for her that she would experience that healing in her body physically. But growing up, I always heard God will provide. Let me tell you something. Did my brother and I, did we know that we were poor? You better believe we did. We saw how our friends dressed. We saw how, um, you know, the, the, the cars that people had, and my mom, you know, I saw the cars that she drove that needed paint, that needed all these things. We understood that we were poor, but we always heard God will provide. And you know what? He always did. Always. We never went without. We didn't have everything that, that we, we needed. Oh, well, I mean, we didn't have everything we wanted. We had everything that we needed. And you know what? Because of the just the tragic situation that my mom went through, it took her a few years to work out of that, but because she was faithful in tithing and because she was faithful to give when she had that extra, she'd always tithe, but when she was able to even give when she had extra above her tithe, man, I just remember seeing the turning point because she was so faithful. The first few years were difficult right after dad left, very difficult, and of course he left us before I was born. That was a difficult time. God was faithful to my mom and to me and my brother. She taught me and my brother 
God will provide. It was never once, I just don't know where God is. God must not be faithful to his word because we're still struggling. No, it was always God will provide. And we saw time after time after time when God provided. So last week, um, funny story, um, I took my checkbook somewhere that we needed to write a check. And I always leave my checkbook at the house because, you know, you have your debit card anymore and all this kind of stuff. And so, but I took my debit, my checkbook, and uh, after I came out of the business, I put it in my book bag so I wouldn't lose it or forget where I put it. A few days go by, and I couldn't find my checkbook, and I couldn't remember where I put it. <laughs> and it was time to write out a tithe check. It was, because Friday and Saturday, I'm like, where did I put that? So I'm looking here, I'm looking there, I'm looking. And I'm like, you know what? So on Sunday morning last week, we had, you know, payday. So um, I, on the way to the church, I stopped by the bank to pull cash out because I couldn't write a check. Because mom had instilled into my brother and I first fruits and tithes. And so that's what we did. Good ending to the story. I was here this past week and talking to somebody, and I go to get my computer out, and I reach down into my bag, and there's my checkbook. I found it. So it's not lost anymore. Praise God for that. Being a good steward of where you keep stuff. Um, Teach your children. Number six, live on a budget. Okay, now this may seem like a little bit of a stretch, and I agree, it is just a little bit. Hang with me on here. This is the one in chapter in verse 13 where it says you must not murder. So how do you get live on a budget? Okay, this one is a stretch a little bit, but not living on a budget kills you and your finances. It really does. It, it, it can do that. We plan to fail when we fail to plan. A budget helps us not to spend emotionally. Whew, boy, that one hits right here. <clears throat> Parenting classes help us be good parents. Marriage classes help us to be have better marriages. Uh, financial classes help us steward well, be generous. See, everybody, I, I guarantee, well, I'm not going to say 100% of the people in this room, but I bet there's at least, a, almost everybody, at least one time you have really messed up your finances. Maybe once in your life. Everybody messes up. You have absolutely killed the plans that you had for your future. And it did something on the inside because you're like, oh. So yes, that one's a little bit of a stretch. But live on a budget so you don't kill yourself and your finances. Again, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir today. And I'm the only one up here, so I guess I'm the choir, right? Preaching to the choir today. Everyone's messed up. Number seven. Now, this one is a good one. Live below your means, okay? That comes from you must not commit adultery. What is adultery? Well, let's look at this for a moment, speaking about finances. We live above our means. When we live above our means, we are telling God we are not content with him and his provision. What is adultery? We're telling our spouse that we're not content with her or him, right? That's, that's what adultery is. So, when we live above our means, we are telling God we are not content with him and his provision. Here's our memory verse for the week. It's in Philippians uh, 4, verse 11. Let's read this together, okay? It says this. Let's go. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Sometimes I want to write, I am learning. Right, because Paul Paul wrote this to the Philippians. He had arrived. He has learned. He had learned to be content. I am in the process of learning how to be content with whatever I have. 
See, live below your means. You must not commit adultery. must not commit even like a spiritual type of financial adultery. I have learned how to. Here's the thing. You can get there. I can get there. We will get there if you're not there already. We will get there. But it's through understanding God's word and taking it in. In this series that we've done, this is the fourth week now, understanding stewardship, understanding what generosity is. I want to learn. I want to be a person who says, God, I am content with all of this. I I thank you so much for what you have given. And Lord, I am content. God, thank you for your blessing. Live below your means. Luke 14, 28, it'll be up on the screen too. It says, but don't begin. This is a parable that Jesus is telling. Don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost? To see if there's enough money to finish it. Um, now, the word that I'm about to say may be a curse word to some of you. It may bring back some horrible memories. But the word is math. <laughs> I did not like math in school. I'm not going to lie. It was just, Sasha was a whiz at math. She's back with the kids. Sasha was a whiz at math. I, uh, Count the cost. Now, I want to bring out something here because I want to understand the context of this scripture. The scripture of counting the cost of building is in context of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You know, even in your finances, you are being discipled by Jesus. Because he uses the example, why would you build a building if you don't first count the cost? Why would you become a disciple of mine if you don't first count the cost of it? So that's what he's saying here. Live below your means. Count the cost. Practically, do your math. Okay, I have $500 to live on for this month. This is for our figure. And I want the really cool pair of boots that cost me $600. What's happening there? All of a sudden, I'm in the negative $100, and I still got to get fuel. I still got to get groceries. Just simple math. Count the cost. Is what he's saying, live below your means. Don't commit adultery by saying, God, I am not content with what you have provided. Because in this room, we have all income levels. Every one of us. Some, realistically, I make more money than some of you. Others, you make more money than me. Am I content with where I am? Are you content with where God has, as we talked about last week, the parable of the talents, to some The owner gave five talents, to some he gave two talents, and to some he gave one. Steward well what he's given. Number eight, the principle is don't buy now and pay later. This is out of Exodus 20.15, you must not steal. You must not steal. Buy now and pay later is a form of stealing. And I'll tell you, this is something I will will say that we've, um, at least with the credit card thing, you know, I, I, I just, I don't carry them anymore. Now, I recognize that some people, you do it for points and you pay off at the end of the month. That's great. But I'm talking about the buy now, pay later type of thing. I'm just giving some, some financial, just something from the Bible, okay? I'm not a financial guru. I'm just bringing out what this says. The unwise use of credit cards is spending money that you don't have. Notice I said the unwise use of credit cards is spending money that you don't have. You see, when Sasha and I were first married, 
we started looking at all the staff that were around us who were much further along in their ministry that they, than, than we were. They had, they had accumulated things longer than we have, and we started thinking, well, if we're going to have people over to our house, if we're going to do this, then we need to have, and we got into some serious financial credit card issues because we thought we were doing a noble thing by having nicer things so that when people came over, but no, we were stealing at that moment. 80%, now this is a statistic, 80% of all tax refunds are spent before the individuals get the return. That's just a national statistic, you know, that I think it was, I think this is a two, one-year-old statistic, two years ago, this came out. 80%, it's spent before the money even comes back in. That's this whole principle here, don't buy now and pay later. In other words, do not steal. If it's not already in there have been times that I have expected money to come in, and, and, and so we, we paid this, we paid that, and the money never came, and it put us in a worse position. This is practical advice this morning from this. Don't buy now and pay later. Think about this practically. America is the most in-debt nation and the most depressed nation in the world. I wonder if there's a correlation that's there. They go hand in hand because debt, overwhelming debt, brings hopelessness. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I'm not sure. And it all comes from the buy now, pay later attitude. You must not steal. We're considering um, the whole idea of online giving and all this type of stuff and working through details of how that's going to work and some areas it's successful and all these type of things. But I was talking with Sarah this week. She brought up a great point. You know, we should never pay tithe with a credit card. Why is that? Because we're giving money that we don't even have to God. And so, well, I'll pay at the end of the month, and all of a sudden comes, something comes up. Now, all of a sudden, you're paying interest on the tithe that belongs to God, and it just it doesn't work out that way. You know, Don't buy now, pay later. Just practical advice. Number nine, be a good witness. This comes from Exodus verse 20, verse 16. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Okay, how are you going to make this work? Let's look at this. God wants us to bear true witness about him. The way we handle finances does witness to other people. The way we handle the, the finances, it does witness to others. The prosperity gospel would say, you should never lack if you truly trust God and you give. Now, you don't have to raise your hand on this one either, but how many of you, you tithe to the Lord and, you know, you even give above and beyond that, and you're a pretty good steward, but you still face an unexpected expense, or something has, you know, a, a child comes along, and you're like, oh my goodness, here's, I wasn't expecting this, I wasn't planning for this. There may be times when you are doing everything right, and you're still thinking, okay, God, I know I'm supposed to be thankful in all things, and I know that you're going to provide, but it's not looking like it, you're internalizing these things, right? I just, I don't understand. I'm not, well, the prosperity gospel would say you should never lack if you truly trust God. It would say you're not being a good witness if you lack. That's what the prosperity gospel says. But let me tell you this, going through difficult financial, going through a difficult financial situation doesn't necessarily make you a bad witness. The true test is how you face that time of lack. Just like my mom did. God will provide. 
My mom tithed. She gave above and beyond that as, as uh, you know, after the bills were paid when she was able to do that. Her witness was God will provide. Did she have everything she wanted? No. Are there some things that she needed? Sure. There are some things that she, she, she needed along the way. Ultimately, God took care of her. The true test is how you face those times of lack. Do you face lean times and lack in your life with joy in your heart and trust in God? I'm bragging on my mom, the one the Bible tells me to. We're about to get to that one here in just a moment. Um, I almost lost my thought there. Let me get back here. Yes. Um, do you face lean times and, la- and, and those times of lack with joy in your heart and trust in God? My mom is one of these most joyful people that I know. I mean, she's one of those people, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, she's one of those people that if you're around her long enough and she's getting really giddy, you're like, Mom, seriously, it wasn't that funny. But then I love being around her because she does laugh at all my jokes, right? But she's one of those that her joy is just infectious, you know? And it's not that way because things in life financially are good for them. She's just always been that way always has been that way. She understands that she faces the difficulties of life, even financially, with joy in her heart and trust in God. It doesn't always work out perfectly, but how do we reflect God in good times and in lean times? That's the point that this is talking about. Be a good witness. You must not testify falsely, okay? Don't, Don't testify falsely. We understand who our provider is and who God is and that he will see us through. Exodus 20, 17 says, You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. This is talking about be content. Be content. Today we may read it, don't covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, uh, their car, their dishwasher, their refrigerator, their oven. Uh, they're riding zero-turn mower with extra horsepower and wide links. <clears throat> Don't covet those type of things. Or anything else that belongs to your neighbor or how beautifully green their grass is. Contentment defeats coveting. Contentment defeats coveting. I am so happy to have my little red ride-on tractor with the bags on the back that collects all my leaves and grass clippings. It's not the newest. I found it on Craigslist for $300. I sold a washer and dryer for $350 when we moved into our house. I made $50 off that deal. And I'm just as happy as I would be with a really cool zero-turn mower. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Seriously, uh, commitment defeats coveting. Colossians 3, 5. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Isn't that where coveting starts? It's like, oh, wow. Have nothing to do. Look at what it links coveting with, by the way. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Coveting is linked with that in this scripture. Impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. My goodness, Paul, why were you writing? This is so harsh, but it's God's word. He's saying, be content. Coveting is listed among all these other sins. 
Coveting makes the desired item an idol. Keeping up with the Joneses makes the Joneses a god. Because you're looking to them and what they have. Can we have that provision? Instead of buying something when God... Yes. Instead of buying something when God tells you to and it's okay because it's his money, let you let your neighbor dictate when you buy something is what this principle is saying. I want God to give me the okay, not what my neighbor has to give me the okay, because I want to be a person that is content, who doesn't covet what my neighbor has. Don't let, here, here's two, two closing final thoughts. Don't let someone else spend your money because of coveting. Let God show you how to spend his money because it is his. These are some great principles, huh? I'm telling you, I'm working on quite a few of these. And I want you to work on these with me because when we are people who are free and healed in our finances, the things that God can do in us and through us and how having a life of living free of, fi- of, of not having any financial stress, it won't affect all the other areas of our body because what does stress do? Stress can cause physical sickness within us. Stress can cause division in relationships and marriages. I want us to be people who invite the presence of God into even our finances. And so my prayer is that after this message, after this series, by the way, go back and listen to previous weeks if you haven't been here. There are so many freeing truths because it is God's word. And I promise you, it will change your perspective and therefore it will change your life. Amen. Can we stand this morning? Our Father God is so good. You know, He wants to provide for you. He does. We've talked about that over the last few weeks. Next week, we are going to talk about Father God. So we'll continue that for Father's Day. Can we just bow our heads? And I want you to take just a moment to make a commitment. Thank you, Miss Vicki. Make a commitment before the Lord. God, I recognize today that the things that you have given me are from you it's not the it's not my stuff it's not my money it's it's truly lord yours lord you've given me gifts you've given me strength you've given me abilities you've given me creativity to be able to appreciate the things that i have now but lord i surrender it to you today help me to be a good steward from this point forward there's no condemnation to those who are in christ if i haven't been living this way from up to this point Lord, help me in the future. First and foremost, help me to please you, Holy Spirit. Understanding the Ten Commandments and then how we have been able to apply these today to this area of our life. God, may we be whole in our finances. I understand that today there are some that are going through some very difficult and lean times. Lord, may they have the assurance from your word. May they have understanding from your word. And God, that as they are obedient to that, that you would turn their situation around. Lord, I pray for us that we would be generous people. God, I pray that we would be wise stewards with what you have given us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Church, it's all about submitting yourself to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Ask him, Lord, will you help me in this situation? Will you help me spend wisely? Is this something that pleases you? And 
you will hear him. You will have a peace which surpasses all understanding to guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Well, as we are dismissing today, um, Dwayne and Malou are going to come up. If you need any further prayer, I appreciate the worship team today leaving opportunity for folks to come down for prayer. Maybe you need additional prayer today. Uh, Dwayne and Malou are going to be available to you.